Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, friends, welcome back to yet another Performance Matters podcast series. Bob Mosier here, one of your co-hosts, and today I am honored to be joined by one of our favorite co-hosts, Dr. Khan Gopherson. Welcome, Khan. Bob, as always, it's great to be with you talking about important things. And this is a really powerful podcast, we hope. We've done over 53 of these now, believe it or not, over the last couple of years now. We so appreciate your patience and loyalty to these. And what we found, Con, is that really throughout those discussions, be it our own that we've done or the times we've been fortunate to have remarkable learning leaders share their story, there are some themes, principles that really do resonate in what makes designing and the outcomes of workflow learning, five moments of need, so different. So what we thought we would do this time, and we get asked that a lot, is we thought we'd do this time is sort of pull those out into five really fundamental discussion areas or principles or themes that really do, if you're trying to fight the battle for workflow learning, you're trying to talk to your learning team about why this is different, you're standing in front of those you serve and say, look, we really should shift to five moments of need or workflow learning as a way in which we fundamentally do our design and work here, you want to bring up and talk about things that do distinguish from a training mindset. Yeah, this also informs how we look at technology that supports workflow learning. These principles inform everything that we do about workflow learning, I think. Absolutely. So let's start from a macro to micro level here, right? And so let's start at what is probably the most fundamental difference, and that is the mindset shift. It really impacts the focus of our deliverables. We talk about a performance-first mindset in the way we go into the conversation to begin with, and the way we think about what is or might be what we deliver and build. And, and obviously, that fundamentally, a uh, great time to review it, and in a while, starts with this idea and framework of the five moments of need. Khan, you are the man. Do you want to sort of give us that quick overview, although we hope our, our listeners know this well, but let's talk about that uh, in principle. Yeah, well, when I entered the real world of work out of graduate school, I had a training mindset. It was all about building a training solution, an instructional solution, an instructional system, we called it. What I found in the real world was that it was all about performance. And I did read a book that influenced me by Mager, you know, analyzing performance problems, or you really ought to want to. <laughs> and that kind of triggered this idea that, you know, we ought to be thinking about performance. And that changed the whole world for me, uh, thinking about performance first, because ultimately, Bob, at the end of the day, if people can't perform in the workplace, what have we done? I mean, what, what has our solution brought? And how has it contributed to the organization? So the five moments of need, give them to us quick. Okay, well, there, there's the moment of apply. That's the big moment. And then within apply, uh, there's the moment of change and the moment of solve, which are very unique uh, at the moment of apply and require some unique treatment. And then there's the moment of learning new, which we have always worked with, and the moment of learning more. And 
there's a difference between those two. Learning more is when I have a lot of contextual experience. So I can move to learning more more quickly with the help of performance support. But most folks start at the learn new, learn more side of things rather than the moment of apply and then cascading that to the level of change and solve. And that does give us that training mindset. If you start with what we traditionally used to call moments one and two, which was the yeah. new and more, it predisposes you to a training deliverable. Yeah. And then if you have time or if there, if you think it's important or you have some job aids you can put out there or, or a digital coach, we'll talk about in a moment, but it tends to be an afterthought. It tends to be what the entire analysis pivots on and puts us in a box, frankly, as well as those we serve for what we ultimately deliver yeah. or build. You know, at one point in my transition from a learning mindset to a performance mindset, I asked an important question, and that is training and instruction is a means to what end? Mm -hmm. What is it that I do? What do I deliver to the organization? And if it's not effective performance in the flow of work, which requires knowledge, certainly, Mm -hmm. but that knowledge has to be acted upon for organizations to be able to do their job. And if we can't get there, that's what we have to face first and foremost, and then work from there to get to what our solutions, what our our mix is really going to be. You know, we hear all the time, Con, that, you know, I'm sick of being an order taker. I wish yeah. I was seen more strategically in the organization. I wish I could get a seat at the table. Well, here's the thing. If you're an order taker, what's on your menu? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if people only know you for training and classes, they're going to walk in your office and say, I want five days of training on leadership. They're yeah. not going to walk in your offices and say, we have a leadership issue be it new leaders, be it how they're performing, which pivots on the way a leader leads. And I want to talk to you as a partner in the business about how we better enable leaders in this company. And then from there, we'll figure out the deliverable. That's the fundamental shift of performance first and being seen as a performance first enabling organization versus seen as a service organization that delivers a product called training. I once introduced myself, Bob, as a performance engineer. (laughs) <laughs> I was tired of being kind of viewed as a trainer yeah. you know, and I wanted to shift that, but goodness gracious, uh, w- what would happen if the leadership of an organization looked to us to help them solve the challenge of effective performance in the flow of work? Well, that takes us to our second principle, I think, Con, and that is we have to analyze on something very different. We have to start at the moment of apply, not new and more. And to understand apply, you have to do this remarkable thing that transformed my design as a designer called rapid workflow analysis. We have to understand first what the true workflow of a leader, a manager, a frontline worker, a phone desk person, a whatever the role is, does. And it does a remarkable thing for organizations called making the workflow transparent. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Where is that? start and and how have we seen it impact the way we're seen in the work we do? Well, many years ago, I was involved in some major organizational transformations and I participated in these work process redesigns, right? Mm -hmm. And what I found was that the methodology in all of that didn't take and move down to the tactical level of work. They were mapping workflow processes at such a high level and really blind 
to the tactical work that, that they were doing. And all of these years, as we've been mapping the workflow, when we move in and we really identify tactically, what is it that a person does? We found that leaders are blind. They're, they're really blind to that work. And the minute that we open that up, and really identify what they do. It's this awakening moment, right? Mm -hmm. They go, yeah, that is what I do. And we're able to have conversations with, should you really be doing that? You know, as you recall, we've had many of those moments where a leader will say, I don't want you doing that. I want you doing this. Well, how do you do that if you can't see it? And more importantly, when I finish a training course, I've got to be able to then step into my work. And if that training isn't aligned to the workflow, then it's going to be really tough to make that transition of taking everything that I learned and reshifting that in my brain to my work. That's why sometimes people finish their training and then they get to their work and their fellow workers go, just forget what you learned in training. Let me show you how it's really done. What they're really saying is, let me show you the workflow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they're speaking to our training that doesn't align to that. One of the biggest shifts for me, Con, when I watched one of my first RWAs was this shift from, in two words, from we, we got to stop designing outlines and design workflow maps instead. And the outlines I always wrote were lockstep to some principles I learned, like simple to complex yep. you know, or grouping by categories. Yeah. Right? And I get that from a from managing the experience perspective, it, it makes a class flow better. But that's not, to your point earlier, that's not the business we are in. What I missed was this whole idea of encoding, right? When many learners start the journey with us in the training, you know, moments one and two, what I think I missed was that besides trying to get them to remember stuff or practice it, I was encoding in their mind how they began the journey of transfer. Yep. And the encoder I repeatedly came back to because I was taught to was, okay, before we go on, let's go back to the outline. Let's yeah. review. We just finished blah, 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 blah. Now we're going to do blah, 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 blah. We just finished formatting. Now we're going to do printing. And so what I was repeatedly doing was helping them say, okay, look, I was setting up a mental map of word. And then the problem was when they took that mental map, I gave them of that simple to complex outline. And they went back to the workflow of being an administrative assistant or whatever they did. They could not make the cognitive transfer of that information to application because the encoder I had given them had not been the workflow. Yeah, I, I've always used the example of how we learned the letters of the alphabet, right? We've learned it and encoded it in one way. And then if you ask somebody to repeat the letters of the alphabet backwards by every third letter, they come to a screeching halt, right? Because we're asking them to move in a way that is different from how they encoded it. And we do that all the time to learners because when they hit the workflow, it's the workflow that they've got to meet. And if they've, if they've encoded in any other way, it's going to create a speed bump that can be rocky, difficult, and filled with error. So this idea of no longer doing outlines, doing workflows, making them transparent, understanding that most process mapping done in most organizations, as wonderful as the effort was, really, we find, don't map to the true workflow, right? We have to start there. And notice, in these first two principles, Khan, we still haven't discussed a deliverable yet. Right. Right? We're still trying to figure that out. 
And we're not using the word course trainer or even digital coach at this point, EPSS, because we just don't know. Now, what you just journeyed us into is this idea that principle number three, there has always been this journey called train, transfer, sustain, always. Yeah. But what this shift to workflow learning design in five moments does is it dramatically shifts that journey. So let's step back and review the original journey. Do you want to walk us through those three stages, how they historically have been treated? Yeah, well, we do the train thing really well. I mean, that's where we spend our time, right? The training. And then we say, thank you for coming. And thank you for the scores on this, on this evaluation <laughs> you gave. We had a great time drinking last night, didn't we? And uh, oh, we bonded so well. And, and I know you're feeling good about the class and good luck. And then they've got to go uh, leave that, that tr rich training experience and figure out, oh, how do I apply this to my work? That's called transfer, right? How do I take this and move this into my own world? So I fight my way. I move through and I figure it out because I've got to perform. You know, I have to perform. And I tie down other people around me helping me and all of this stuff. It's really messy through that transferring what I've learned to my work. And then once I get there, I've got to sustain it in a world that changes, you know, that is always changing. Train, transfer, and then sustaining it. And uh, I've got to get to my tools and to everything that I need. And there are tremendous efficiencies there. So the old model is we just throw them over the fence. Yeah. We, kiss, we, we kiss them goodbye and thank them for coming. And, and then they, they move into the real world uh, unprepared to transfer and then to manage the sustainment of that. You know, and kind of we've always aligned three things that happen at those pivots, right? The training helps me master it. And yep. we've used the word master. And yep. I walk out, like you said, we can assess them. We can even watch them practice. We can ask them questions. And in the end, we think, look, you've mastered the content. I wouldn't say the skill or the yeah. performance because that's what happens in transfer in what we call competency. You become yep. competent when you apply what you've mastered. And to your point, we've left them to their yep. own accord there. And then in the world we live in today, the final thing is to remain so. And sustain yeah. is to go through what every L&D team wants to be linked to, and that is professional development. We're in the professional development business. That happens in the world of sustain and the churn of change. And we are as far removed from that in the old model as we've ever been. Yeah, and I, I would say one of the real challenges is integrating what I've learned into the experience and the work that I have, and then enriching that experience with that integration. So integrating the new skills and the new knowledge, that is no small thing, mm -mm. you know, that no small challenge that we have to do. So what we've learned, Khan, is if you apply workflow learning, if you apply five moments design to the same thing, because train, transfer, sustain does not go away. Those three stages of the journey are always there, but we just outlined how they've been with a training focus. When you do a performance first focus, we find three remarkable things happen over and over and over. We've seen these hundreds of times. And the first, let's speak to where we you know, live, and that is training on average is reduced by half. You, if you shift to an apply design first, and some other tools we'll talk about in a moment in the new blend, you don't have to train everything. It's not the responsibility and the Herculean effort of a trainer to wake up every day and feel the burden 
of having to cover and having taught them everything. So on average, we see it reduced by half. The more important thing is that we're in the business of competency. Like you said earlier, if in the end people can't perform better, we have not done our job. And we see time to competency reduced on average by half because this is an enablement model in the journey of transfer and sustain, not a knowledge transfer or knowledge, if I may, dump model of what the training first mindset tends to be. Yeah. And so in the journey of that, you know, I'm competent because I've integrated what it is that I learned into my work and into the experience, the rich experience that I, that I have within the work environment. And so I perform with judgment, with knowledge, with experience. Yeah, you know, I, I've had a heart surgery a couple of years ago. And uh, my first question to that heart surgeon was, uh, how much experience have you and the team had and how successful has that experience been? I, I wasn't interested in his training. I wanted to know how competent the team was. And uh, that time to competency is really important. And one of the things that we found, Bob, is that, that it takes time for people to become truly competent. And many times the, they become competent just before they leave the company. You know, So you only have like a month or two months a true, full, competent performance, and then they leave. Well, if we can give, instead of two months, six months, you know, of, of competent performance before they leave, or with that competent performance, actually keep them longer, which is what we find happens, that's a big plus for organizations. So, Con, this segues us into principle four, and that is we have been using the word blended learning in our business for I don't remember how long. Right. Yeah. And, and you and I, since we stumbled on this methodology and since you've helped us operationalize it through the five moments, you know, enable design approach, what I would begin and argue is that it's never been blended learning. Because right. it's never addressed the full scope of train, transfer, sustain. It has right. been a blended training model in that we've taken the train stage and mixed it up. I, I always share, and this probably resonates hopefully with most of our listeners who've done blended learning. Again, we'd argue blended training is you took a five-day course, you made it two, you flipped it, and you put e-learning on either end to shorten the content, shorten the in-person experience. You might throw a coach in here or there to help them with that, and that's been your blended learning model. Yeah. When, you, when you look at it through the lens of the last principle of train, transfer, sustain, that is only blending the training stage. Yeah. Yeah. How does what we're talking about here extend into the three stages and truly become a blended learning model? Well, there was a transformational moment in my journey as an instructional designer where I realized that I had been prioritizing learning and figuring out the blend based on complexity and frequency. And those are important metrics and ways of looking at things. It became clear to me through an experience that I had that the impact of failure uh, was a big deal that figuring out if a person or a worker, a performer fails in this task or fails to understand this critical piece of knowledge, what is the impact of failure to be able to perform that or a failure to understand that? And that changed my whole world. It rocked my world uh, because it became clear to me that where I justify pulling people away from their work 
stopping work was when the critical impact of failure was significant to catastrophic. But if people could fail and learn from that failure, well, why not push them into the workflow and let them learn in the flow of work and make their mistakes and learn from those mistakes? Because failure, when it's safe, is a very powerful teacher and encoder. But what you don't want them to do is to make a mistake when it's going to cost the company or that person or people around them. And so figuring that out allowed us to create a blend into the workflow uh, where we have a digital coach, you know, an EPSS in the flow of work where people can fail safely. It can be learned uh, readily with the help of a digital coach, an EPSS, as they two clicks, 10 seconds, get to the steps and all the resources that I need where I can do it and learn as I do my work. That's the big part of workflow learning. So if we go deeper back in our principles, then the, the shift to design for apply first means you build a tool that enables apply. And that's what we call a digital coach. Yep. That is the first deliverable. We're finally talking about deliverables. That is the first deliverable. When we do our work, we build. Because once you have and see all that's in that digital coach, and then step back and go, okay, look, based on criticality and the power of this tool, what's left to even need to be training or trained is dramatically different and allows you to do that because it lets us not do something we call blended training, but something we call targeted training. Why do we call it that, Con? Well, because we're targeting in our training, we're targeting those skills where the critical impact of failure is significant to catastrophic. We're going to target those. And because we have a workflow map, because we have organized things according to the workflow, we can uh, show the context of that training and then with the digital coach help uh, with activities and other things, the integration into the workflow learning. One of the critical things, Bob, in all of this is access to the resources that you need to have, right? And the resources that I need to perform are in that digital coach. And that's most of the content that we always plug into other things, into slides and other things. But if that content is in the digital coach, then all we have to wrap around it is training content like activities and other things. And so we can be much more efficient. One of the great changing uh, methodologies that we found though in this whole journey of those assets was the what we call the performance support pyramid, hmm. right? And Bob, that was your great insight. I think that that needs to be shared here because without that, you can't get to the workflow learning. You can't get to the blended side of things. Where it came from, Khan, is like the brilliance of critical impact of failure rating, which is at the task level, we also realized that not all resources are created equal. You know, you, you might have multiple resources that serve the same topic or serve the same task or support the same step, but a 20-minute video does something very differently than a five-step job aid. And so what we learned is there's a hierarchy of support that can be offered. Historically, in SharePoint and other sites that had content in them, we dropped them at the doorstep of a ton of stuff. And we said, just pick one. They're, these are all related to your problem. These will all help you solve your problem. So pick. And there's a PDF there that's 100 pages. There's a video that's 20 minutes. There's a job aid that's five steps. The learner was left in the lurch of what you called earlier, two clicks, 10 seconds, because they want to intrinsically get back to work quickly. So what we realized in the performance support pyramid is that once you're in the digital coach, there is an architecture and design to the way in which resources from stepped out steps 
to lengthy e-learning courses, which are also a resource, are made available. And so we go from simple to complex. This is where that works, right? The more simple and direct resources are offered first because that gets the job done quickly. But if they're not helpful, we go deeper into supporting knowledge for background, reference resources for quick access, learning resources for more lengthy understanding if it's needed. And lastly, if a person helps, well then, my goodness, have an hour conversation with an SME. But architecting that journey in that way that a digital coach can do, and to your point, bring all these scattered resources to a two clicks, 10 seconds moment, that is transformational in supporting performers in the workflow. Yeah, and I, I remember when we were working with Jen Jen Lam and she saw this for the first time. She goes, man, this changes my objective in training. I'm going to train people to use this digital coach, yep. you know, rather than trying to train them on all that content. And that leads us to this last really powerful principle, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we are in cognitive overload in the training world. We have to train people on more things and more knowledge and more information than they have bandwidth to handle. When you move all of that content into the performance support pyramid and you give them two clicks, 10 seconds access to all of that, then the tactical work of the company can be housed in that digital coach so that I can then spend my time as a leader thinking about leading, as a performer thinking about, you know, how do I perform better? You know, the whole higher level processing, like innovation, problem solving, all of that we're able to do. Yep. We met a brilliant woman at a conference years ago that was up on the stage as a keynote, and she yeah. was researching what she called the Google effect. She wanted to know if with digital access to all the remarkable information we have right now, and in this case, a Google search, has that changed the way we cognitively approach problem solving and learning? And what she found was that we, we made a subtle and but powerful shift over time with realizing when I have fingertip knowledge, when I have access to things two clicks, 10 seconds, I instinctively move away from memorization and rely more on finding it. That is a remarkable shift in the world today, yeah. right? And, and, and I don't even know kind of if we realized we were doing it, but I don't, you know, it's the old, you know, Einstein didn't memorize his phone numbers because he could look them up. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and Betsy Sparrow shared this remarkable research about the fact that we have innately shifted to a culture of reference, not a culture of memorization and knowing. And, and she showed that we can more readily remember where something is, as long as we have confidence that it's the information we need, we can more readily remember where it is than committing it to memory and pray tell, hope that it never changes. Yeah. You, know, you commit it to memory, what's the chance of that changing? Well, this is powerful insight in managing cognitive load and making sure that we can do what really is important in organizations, and that is innovation, problem solving, you know, uh, making the world a, a, a better place in, in how we go about our work. And isn't that what we're called to do, right? This kind of circles back to how this whole thing started in your story earlier. And that's where the digital coach, which is what we view in the L&D space, is what Google is to finding something to shop for or buy or, or yeah. where, what the capital of a, of a country is. The digital coach is the new courseware. It's the new e-learning. It's the new deliverable of workflow learning that L&D has to understand to build first, not the book, not the course, not the outline. 
to build the workflow and the digital coach first, and then all else cascades from that. And we get to that point that we wanted to in the first place, which is freeing our learners to perform and keep up in the world they live in today. Yep. So my well, friend, quick review. One, the impact is we change our focus to performance first. From that, we outline and understand and design to the workflow, making it transparent. That shifts us and our ability to move the old train transfer sustain model to one more of the transfer and the sustain stage, not the train. That lets us blend differently through targeted learning, the design of a digital coach, which ultimately reduces cognitive load, enables performance, and allows our learners to perform better in the workflow, which is the business that we are in. Well, my friend, as always, brilliant stuff. We hope the insights are well. So good to have you here, and we look forward to our next discussion. Thanks, Bob. As always, great talking and sharing ideas with you. You as well, my friend. Talk to you all soon. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.thenumber5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.